Archaeology is often viewed as a fascinating, eclectic, yet ultimately quaint pursuit. This program explores archaeology from the perspective of professionals who demonstrate that in the 21st century, archaeology and its sub-disciplines may hold the key, not only to our past, but to our present and future. Welcome to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with your host, Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Spend the next hour exploring where we came from and where we're headed with a leading researcher and practitioner in the field. Now, here is Dr. Schuldenrein. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another episode of our program, Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. Uh, past few episodes have dealt with some side aspects of archaeology that are actually uh, becoming increasingly more prominent in the world in which we practice our profession. And we had, and we will continue to have, a number of programs looking at archaeology in the public and commercial sphere, looking especially at how archaeologists convey their message to a broader public. Uh, in part, we do this because... Um, we have understood over the past 15, 20 years, 30 years, uh, in part because of the inordinate success of the Indiana Jones movies and, and the clear interest and thirst on the part of the public for archaeology and what it really means, uh, that, that there is a need for a conveyance of the actual message of what we do uh, that communicates to an extensive audience. Uh, archaeologists have, have I have indicated in the past, are notorious in basically trying to keep the communication lines confined to a broad, to a, to a more, a more uh, specific, specific and focused public, people who are professionals and colleagues. And of course, that's understandable. We do significant research. Uh, the research that we do is scientific in nature. To some degree, to a large degree, the actual tech, tech uh, knowledge technological and formal aspects of what we do is is, is very, very specific, and it involves a, a very strong background in a variety of different types of fields. And in any other kind of field, you would find the same type of um, constraints, if you will, where people who are actually doing the work and doing the science uh, are communicating to other people who are doing the science. There's nothing wrong with that other than our message does have a broader appeal and it has something to communicate with the general public. And, and probably more significantly than that is the fact that our funding sources and our ability to practice what we do is increasingly becoming a function of getting people involved so that we can get funding and we can do our work and we can apply our work in spheres that are meaningful to the greater population and to the greater public. And this is a wonderful thing and this is the way things are going in the 21st century certainly. We used to be, as it said in the intro to, in the promo to the program, this is a quaint field. A lot of people uh, think that archaeologists, archaeologists are, if you will, another form of a mad scientist working in museums, working in universities, nevertheless coming up with very critical information on such issues as ancient civilizations, human evolution, uh, buried uh, treasures, if you will, 
And, of course, we've tried to dispel a lot of the misconceptions about this. But nevertheless, we have a message to project to the public. We want to get the public engaged. We'd like to encourage what we do and project its significance to a larger audience. In that connection, we have extensively expanded our message across the social media, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, among other vehicles that, that we have been in touch with and that we have expanded our message, certainly vis-a-vis the program that we're doing. And we've gotten extremely broad and largely very positive responses. And people are asking us a number of questions, uh, specifically the one that I want to tackle today is the education and training of an archaeological career in the 21st century. What's involved? How is it done? Uh, obviously, uh, when you go to, when an archaeologist goes to a meeting or uh, goes to a party or a social event or any kind of a gathering, when you are the archaeologist, you are the only archaeologist in the room, unless it's, of course, another meeting of archaeologists. But by and large, people are often drawn and fascinated by the type of work that one does and you'll invariably run across a number of folks whatever profession they're in whether they're lawyers doctors accountants engineers they always there will always be somebody said you know I've always wanted to be an archaeologist or I was started out to be an archaeologist but then I realized I really had to make a living and I had to do something that would sustain me and of course those of us who actually have become archaeologists uh, sort of chuckle in the background and say well hey look at me I mean I actually do this as a profession I, I support myself doing archaeology and I'm very happy with it and of course the conversation evolves into how it is it and what do you do and what is your training and can you really can you really succeed in this uh, in, in, in the pursuit of this type of a career and the answer of course is yes you can and in this day and age the potential for uh, developing and cultivating an archaeological career is broader and more far-reaching than ever before because, uh, as I said before, the uh, the reach of the archaeologist is expanding and, and the type of work that we do goes beyond pure esoteric research and extends into the public domain, especially with, uh, as I had indicated in, many, in, in several previous shows, with the advent of environmental protection laws, cultural preservation laws, both of these go hand in hand, and these are programs that actually were launched into the public eye in the uh, environmentally aware periods of the 1960s and 1970s, and of course these time frames were responsible for the emergence of a commercial profile for archaeologists and for archaeology and for what it does, and as a result of that, and this is again, we're talking about only 30 or 40 years, the training of archaeologists has necessarily had to change. It's changing very, very slowly. Archaeologists and, and the protocol that archaeologists have always followed for their training has always been very, very rigorous. Uh, that has not changed. And it has, it has always, certainly in the professional realm, and I'm talking about post-high school, uh, college, and uh, graduate school, the guidelines that have been followed in archaeological training programs well those are very slow to change and we're going we have mentioned this in the past we've made reference to it in a number of contexts but in this program i think i want to just give the general public a glimpse as to how archaeological training has changed and also to give you some in, some baseline information as to how archaeology 
uh, is is taught and how how people learn and prepare themselves for a training in archaeological career uh, once they get out of high school. Now, archaeology in the United States and in North America is largely contained under the rubric of anthropology or classics. Uh, and the approaches between the two forms of training, and there are several others, but if we're talking about general terms, I would say that the main divisions for archaeological training are uh, the one that's anthropologically based, and there's the one that's classically based. Anthropologically based uh, training involves a social science and natural science perspective in which anthropology has traditionally, and this goes back for over a 100 years now, anthropology, in, in certainly in North America, is viewed as a four-field discipline in which the primary sub-disciplines are cultural anthropology, which is the study of cultures, archaeology, which is the study of ancient cultures, uh, physical anthropology, which deals largely with the evolution of the human form and the breakdown of, uh, of, of uh, populations in, in a scientific and, and bio, a biological sense. And the fourth branch, which is generally a little smaller and, and is, does not get as much emphasis in most programs, linguistics or, or language and the culture and, and uh, mechanics of language insofar as they relate to cultural evolution and the emergence of, of uh, various cultures across the world. So those are the four fields, and the, the, the approach that is used in North America is called the four-field approach. Now, in this particular program, I'm going to make reference largely to North America uh, because programs in archaeology across the world are very, very different from the model that we've adopted in North America. And I'm going to talk about that as well. Then the classics approach that we use here, again, in North America is more confined to art, art history, and classical studies. And by and large, those perspectives are uh, linked, let us say, to the growth of, of Western civilization as we know it, going back effectively to the period of the Egyptians, the Sumerians, Mesopotamia, uh, the lands of the Bible. And traditionally, that form and that perspective on archaeology uh, was more focused on the humanities and art history, and it was geared towards the uh, the large monuments, if you will, that were constructed uh, by the ancient Western civilizations. And it's, it's, it's a perspective that, again, used to focus very heavily on art history, uh, the development of art, traditional and, and, and classical architecture. And as a result of that, it, it, it adopted a series of sub-disciplines and methodologies and practicing uh, perspectives on how archaeology is done that is much more classically based in, insofar as it looks at art and art history, as I said before, and less, if you will, scientifically oriented. Now, those lines between anthropologically based archaeology and classically 
based archaeology have have started to blur significantly over the past i would say 20 years as the role of scientific approaches and methods themselves have taken a more significant role in the way archaeologists are trained. And this, of course, again, is in a very academic and in a very technical sense. And, and there's a need to understand what the difference is in, between, in these approaches and to understand how the influx and incorporation of scientific method is starting to affect the ways in which archaeology is, is being taught and in the way that people are being trained to pursue archaeology in the uh, in, in colleges initially and in graduate schools where you specialize and develop your actual professional uh, CVs, if you will, your uh, bona fides, if you will, uh, to prepare you to actually go out into the world and to do archaeology irrespective of whether or not you're doing it as an academic or as a commercial professional. And uh, we'll talk about that after the break and uh, we'll be back uh, in a couple of minutes. News, opinion, your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787, 1-866-472-5787, voiceamerica.com. Professionals and families who are dealing with autism face challenges that can lead to many questions. Questions about how to understand, communicate, and support each other. Every week, Autism Today with host Dr. Patrick J. Rydell will focus on dealing with the diagnosis and the day-to-day challenges of autism spectrum disorders. Dr. Rydell will combine his 30 years of experience along with featured guests from the ASD field to provide their insights and answers to your questions. Listen every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health & Wellness. Want to hear about what's going on in the world of fashion, beauty, gossip, and politics? Then you'll want to tune in every Wednesday to the Voice America Variety Channel. Face Forward with entrepreneur and beauty consultant Sarah McNamara is honest talk, great guests, and a cool vibe with a lot of fun. Sarah and her guy Friday Anthony will turn you on to what's hot and what's not. This is a radio show custom made for you. Tune in to Face Forward Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the East, 11 a.m. in the West on Voice America Variety. Come back to your senses. Imagine a radio show that will help you recover your common sense. Host Leah Brenda Smith is a health and wellness specialist who will explain techniques designed to help you recover from the stress of your life. It's all about how you respond to your thoughts. A little bit of self-awareness can go a long way in helping you to relax and enjoy your life. Tune in to Come Back to Your Senses Radio, live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You're listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra-goarc.com. Now, back to the program. 
I'm back. Uh, welcome back to the program. Uh, this is Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. And with respect to the focus on 21st Century Archaeology, I was starting to respond to queries that we have had on the program from our listeners, our very devoted listeners who have communicated to us via Twitter, um, LinkedIn, and uh, Facebook that uh, they wanted to know, well, how is the training for archaeology evolving and how has it changed from the traditional training and, and what is that training really all about? And what I was discussing before the break is that uh, in the latter part, in the mid part of the 20th and latter part even of the 20th century, archaeologists generally fell into two groups, those who studied classical archaeology, uh, if you will, the origins of Western civilization taking in Oh, say, uh, the past seven or eight thousand years, uh, beginning very, very grossly with uh, the emergence of Egyptian and Sumerian civilizations. And, uh, that would be sort of falling into the rubric of, of classical archaeology and, uh, more, uh, anthropological archaeology in which the social sciences and the scientific perspectives of looking at culture as a general phenomenon, uh, is, was, was basically promoted as sort of the umbrella for looking at, uh, at archaeology and we, had indicated that there's a, a four-field approach in the anthropological perspective that stressed um, a physical anthropology, which is uh, the evolution of the human form, archaeology, which is the study of ancient cultures, cultural anthropology, which is the study of contemporary cultures and the, the lineage of cultures, if you will, going back as far as, as, as time is concerned and as far as human organization is, is concerned, and linguistics, which largely looks at language as a cultural phenomenon. And that really is, is the dominant model that still holds in archaeological training, in anthropological and archaeological training, and, and not surprisingly, surprisingly, that perspective is called anthropological archaeology. The other one is called classical archaeology, and the focus had traditionally been on structures, monumental architecture, the evolution of kingships and, and, uh, structures and buildings and organizational frameworks within the larger cultures and how villages were formed in with an architectural basis and an artistic basis on what the products of those cultures were. And it was really a, a more of an art historian's type of perspective. As I indicated just before, those lines are being blurred by think, uh, and, and there's always room for argument here, but by the increasingly significant influence of scientific method to understand um, how how the archaeological record is formed. And by the archaeological record, I mean trans, trying to reconstruct the finds on the ground to something that's living and meaningful to understand how people actually lived, how people actually functioned, and, and, and the ways in which uh, society evolved and was organized in a variety of different frameworks. Now, again, the anthropological perspective, if you will, and again, these are gross categorizations, the anthropological perspective is more concerned with society as large. It doesn't really look at monumental structures. It looks at 
quote, how the people actually lived, and that would refer to people evolving from the Paleolithic or from the Stone Age that goes back to about two, three million years. And if you're getting into human evolution beyond that, uh, certainly chronologically, and how you can interpret the findings at the various stages of human and societal evolution, what they mean in terms of, of how society and human behavior uh, can be interpreted from the fossil record in the in terms of the older the older findings and in terms of the architectural and uh, the stone tool kits and, and and pottery and building debris as you move along and again as in, in the classical uh, archaeological record you are more concerned with monumental architecture you're looking at at uh, art you're looking at statuary and you're trying to piece together, shall we say, how cultures, large high cultures evolved, if you will. And that type of an evolutionary track really attests to the artistic achievements of the elite portion of the population, whereas the anthropological perspective is is more focused on how the actual everyday people lived. And that's, again, these are very, very gross divisions, but if we want to identify what these two perspectives are those are what they are and as i said over the past 20 years uh the ability that we have to interpret archaeology from the uh the point of recovery of the information to the reconstruction of what that infers in terms of uh, human organization um, subsistence economies, how people lived and what they achieved, that has expanded exponentially with the advances of science, scientific methods, specifically uh, anything ranging from remote sensing imagery that allows us to track patterns in human settlements from the air using satellite imagery um, to... Uh, Predicting what artifacts are buried beneath the ground using, uh, using radar, ground penetrating radar to map, uh, hidden artifact assemblages and hidden features of the archaeological record, fireplaces, butchering stations, processing stations that used to be done, uh, through very, very, very rigorous, uh, field survey and testing and, and limited uh, archaeological excavation. A lot of this work is now done with the use of sophisticated high technological um, methods. And with that, there is sort of a blurring between the classical archaeology and the anthropological archaeology and a, a, a much stronger focus, if you will, on how we do these things. Um, when I was in school, the, the baseline course that we had, of course, was general anthropology, understanding uh, cultural variation in populations, which, again, was the traditional introductory course that we had, the 101 course, if you will. And, uh, and uh, you would always have a, a course that was called Method and Theory in Archaeology, and that still goes on. There is, of course, a basic course called Method and Theory, but if you actually look at what, what the advances in the field are, and again, this is my bias, we are seeing a much greater emphasis on method all around. Theory, of course, is very important. You need a framework 
from which to interpret the disparate or the separate findings that you're encountering when you do your excavation. You have to put them in, into some kind of a framework that that relates to behavior and, and organization, which you're provided with with traditional anthropological background studies. But again, there is an overwhelming advance in, in, in actual methods so that I, I think uh, that many programs uh, method is becoming an increasing focus and how you recover the information uh, re- requires so much information and so much lo- uh, so much knowledge that in things like uh, geophysics uh, landscape interpretations geology uh biology as we discussed for for physical anthropology the science itself requires so much information and so much technical training that it, it it's becoming increasingly more difficult to really develop uh uh, programs in which this holistic perspective on what we mean by culture uh, doesn't get dwarfed now in fact uh, there are efforts to there have been efforts on the part of the anthropological educational organizations and professional societies to reconfigure training programs that will allow us to maintain the holistic perspective and again this would be an anthropological archaeology so that we don't lose the vision of what we're really trying to do which is to reconstruct human behavior and human organization uh, because we are functioning as uh, cultural creatures to to differentiate ourselves from other forms and and there's there's a need certainly to do that uh, it's it's most emph- emphasized in in North America there's not so much of a perspective on that I think in many parts of the old world I'll talk about that a little later but by and large when you're an undergraduate that's the perspective you get you you, you get the perspective on what cultures really are and that's the way it should be you need to have sort of the holistic map if you will of, of what anthropology tries to get at what is culture about so that when you actually go out and you do archaeology which again is a study of ancient cultures you have some kind of a skeleton or a framework to to, to hang to hang your findings on if you will so that you're not uh, you're not excavating in a vacuum but you're really sort of looking at uh, at questions of, of the human career and, and, and what people were doing and, and, and how the sequential emergence of what they're doing looks in terms of, of, of time and evolution and how we got to where we are today if you will uh, in, in graduate school I think uh, once you start to take a focus training then you start to develop a specialization, a methodological specialization or a regional specialization in which you focus on a time frame, a region, or a method, an investigative method that suits your interests. And uh, I think the overarching perspective that we have in uh, anthropological archaeology in North America, whether or not you are an undergraduate where you're getting the basic tools, or a graduate where you're refining the tools and trying to utilize and develop your talents to apply them in some kind of a context. I I think that those approaches are still pretty traditional. Um, They're housed in in departments, as as I say, of, of anthropology, where the emphasis really is to learn, 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 and 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 not necessarily to uh, to apply these strategies in a specific uh, vocational orientation because the traditional vocation that you were going to get into when you learned archaeology was academics. It was either you're working for a university 
or working for a museum or working for even agencies that were related to the pure recovery and preservation of of monuments say at 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 at, par, at sites or that that were being maintained for uh for tourism or to to uh to secure the record of 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 what humans had built or created be it north america or anywhere around the world but these were largely research oriented venues if you will and the applications of that training were specifically geared to that as the ultimate end all as for your vocation so the end product was certainly to be in one of those three in one of those three venues and of course that has changed drastically in the past 20 years and 30 years as commercial archaeology has become more and more a viable part of what what you're going to be and how you're going to actually apply your craft and we will talk about the details of that and the need to, shall we say, modify the traditional instructional paradigms that we have in the universities to accommodate changing venues of applied archaeology. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Each week, Jimmy Gould brings you the stories and the people that you want to hear about. Tune in to A Current Life to hear about the journey to success, how our guests became the people they are today, and the highs and lows they experienced along the way. Each hour will leave you inspired and entertained as Jimmy gets up close and personal with every week's guest and shares ideas you can identify with and apply to your own life. A Current Life with Jimmy Gould airs Fridays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Michelle Kors Six Degrees is your connected consciousness. Six Degrees is what comes around, goes around radio. Committed to delivering a fresh perspective on thought-provoking, investigative information that can change your life. Six Degrees connects you to the social and emotional scene and is your trusted advisor from finance to romance, mainstream to metaphysical. It's a positive, upbeat look at life, love, and the pursuit of passion. Get connected Saturdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening. 
listening to Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. To be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra-goarc.com. Now, back to the program. We're back uh, on our session on uh, So You Want to Be an Archaeologist, the education and training of an archaeological career in the 21st century. And as I was discussing before the break, um, the four-field approach that the anthropological archaeologists use in in North America uh, remains a model uh, for how training is undertaken, and I think it's still a very, very valid model by and large in which you sort of get your basics on, on what anthropology means and what culture is about and why you're actually excavating these things if you want to sort of get a holistic perspective on what cultural and, and evolution is about and what biological evolution is about and language evolution, what that's about and how societal organization changes. That covers the four fields, basically. And quite frankly, uh, you will be taking courses in actual archaeology as you start to specialize in your um in your uh, archaeological career if you select uh, archaeology as a major within anthropology and you'll have the opportunity to actually look at, for for example, archaeology of the ancient world or uh, archaeology of human origins and you'll get two, three or four courses once you uh, decide that you want to be an anthropology major in specific aspects of of archaeology and, and if you want to continue doing that uh, as a career, well, then you go to graduate school and, and, and then your entire career trajectory uh, starts to establish and, and take its own form and then your options for what you want to do uh, certainly expand and they expand to a large degree, but you have to be very careful in knowing what you want to do. Now, now the problem that we have here is that once you get into graduate school, um, the issue really is that graduate school is a training ground still, as I, as I had indicated earlier. It is still largely structured around uh, focusing your efforts to be a professor. Now, there is a, a, a wave right now in archaeological circles, in the professional organizations, and to some degree, although it's a little slower in the universities, to change this paradigm. Because what has happened, and it's happened very, very rapidly uh, on a relative scale, is that the actual employment of archaeologists has gone, archaeologists has gone from being dominantly academic to being dominantly commercial. And that's a, tra- a transformation that's, that's occurred over the past 30 years in basically one generation. So what you have is because of the nature of the university system, you have people who have emerged, uh, say 30 years ago under the old model of archaeological training uh, wherein everything was oriented towards an academic career. Those folks have been archaeological practitioners in an academic context for their entire careers. 
and they have witnessed the changeover from archaeology going from a dominantly academic to a dominantly commercial sphere. But nevertheless, they have basically pursued their own careers as researchers and instructors. And um, most of the top tier university, the structure is such that you get your bona fides and you get your promotions based on your research. So what happens is that your graduate students will file into a university or select a university for training based on their particular research interests that should, in theory, match up with the research interests of the professor. So that, for example, if they are interested in the French Stone Age or in the, or, or in the Near Eastern New Stone Age, and the technical terms would be the Paleolithic of France or say the Neolithic of, of the Middle East, they will look for a program in which uh, a renowned expert on those particular fields, uh, has residence. And so they will go with that go to the school that has that program and by and large they will take courses that as I indicated before will have a sufficient number of methodological um, programs and, and, and courses for example statistics uh, geology um, Middle Eastern culture if they're doing the Middle Eastern uh, trajectory and they will get those courses but by and large they will be apprenticed to a professor Whose, int whose interests will overlap with theirs, and that professor will take them under their wing. And in most cases, and certainly not all of them, they will be very, very focused on the overlap between their research interests and that of the professors, or it will slide on a trajectory that deviates somewhat, but generally moves in the same general general. Uh, direction so that for example if the professor is is uh, focused on stone tool technologies of the stone age of france or something like that then, then the student might have a a different uh, a different perspective again on the stone age but nevertheless with a different focus say art or say the geology of stone age sites or something like that and will specialize in that direction now the problem with all of that is that these types of fields are not as open today as they once were. And uh, there is, as I said, uh, because of the nature of the university system, those professors and those researchers who have achieved a tremendous amount professionally and scientifically are pretty much locked into their research. Now, they do have flexibility. They can move around. If they're methods people, they can apply their methods from one part of the world to the next part of the world, from one time frame to another time frame. And that flexibility and that methodological orientation is extremely valuable for any student uh, that wants to work with that professional because that has a built-in flexibility that allows the student to apply the lessons of working with that professor to a different region or to a different pers uh, to a different topic or to a different time frame, and it just has this kind of a, uh, a flexibility, a methodological uh, flexibility that will allow them to apply their skill set to to the. Uh, potential venues that will be available for the archaeologist when this professional gets out of school. Um, and if that means that you have, say, developed a geological training, which is the one that I have select, had selected when I was part of that generation, because I am part of that generation, then uh, I found that I already had a leg up 
in this huge emergence of the commercial archaeological sphere because the geological element of, of doing any kind of archaeology is pretty much important when you're going to a commercial or an applied venue. So that if you need to understand um, whether or not archaeological sites are going to be impacted by a construction project or something like that. Uh, it doesn't matter whether it's a, a paleolithic site in France or if it's a, it's, it's, it's a woodland site in North America. You still have to understand the geology and you have to understand what the site is about. So by developing a methodological expertise, you already have a flexibility in the employment world that, uh, that will allow you to seek employment without, without making making too much in the way of adjustments. I mean, by the time you get into the latter stages of graduate school and you go from your, to getting a master's degree or a PhD degree, you have already developed some of the skill sets that you will need to apply your lessons to anywhere, assuming that you have understood that flexibility is something that's really, really critical. You have, certainly have the intellectual tools. The questions are uh, whether or not you can, you can break out of, of uh, your specific focused research Research area and apply your skill set to areas in which areas or regions or time frames in which you may not necessarily have the expertise, but your 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 methodological tool set or skill set is something that's portable and you can take it with you anywhere. And in the case of geology, if you understand the geology of one area, then you at least know that you have the ability to understand it somewhere else and you know the basic concepts of the geology so that you can uh, transfer that that knowledge that uh, methodological knowledge set to another area and you can make the transition relatively well however if your focus is so tight and so restrained then you will find that you will have some difficulty making that transition more significantly your academic achievements are not necessarily valued as highly or as 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 uh, directly, shall we say, in the professional world as they would be in an academic world, because you will have to relearn so many different types of things. Because uh, since since uh, professional uh, since commercial archaeology will require you to achieve and perform a variety of different tasks that are not necessarily pure knowledge oriented but they are related to problems in preservation law and compliance that uh, require you to, to assess the significance of a site in a very formal sense that has may not have any relationship to the type of work that you did when you studied your pure research and tried to understand the importance of a, a particular achievement uh, purely from an intellectual standpoint, not necessarily from an applied standpoint in which a building needed to be built in an area and you have to determine whether or not that site or that archaeological feature is important and, and how you deal with it in a compliance setting. So the transition here is an issue um, when the initial first, and again, as I said before, we have a 30-year window in which the dominance of archaeological employment turned from 80-20, shall we say, on the academic end to 80-20 on the commercial, and this is a huge transition, and uh, I will talk about, uh, uh, l let, me, let me develop that um, in a variety of different ways. I mean, this is one generation in which this... Um, this transition occurred, and when we come back after the break, I will tell you why the demographics of 
of uh, of uh, of archaeolo- archaeological student production and PhD and and graduate student production uh has undergone a really really significant transformation and that reflects the fact that there is such a shift between the demand for academics and the current demand for for uh, commercial archaeologists that one generation is really not enough for that transition to have been made smoothly in terms of the new archaeologists that are fulfilling jobs in the changing marketplace. We'll be back after these words. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Do you feel as if your life is just filled with random awkward moments? Believe me, you're not alone. Tune in every Friday for TAG, the Awkward Girl Guide, with your host, Ashley Iola. Ashley has learned to own her awkward, and she guides you how to do the same. It's awkward, but it can be a lot of fun, too. We'll talk about relationships, sports, food, health, family life, and social life. Each show hopes to make you a bit more in control of your awkward. Tune in to TAG, the Awkward Girl Guide, Fridays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America variety channel the internet's number one talk station number one talk station voiceamerica.com you're listening to indiana jones myth reality and 21st century archaeology with dr joseph schuldenrein to be a part of our discussion today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to joseph.schuldenrein at gra-goarc.com. Now, back to the program. Uh, thanks for coming back. Uh, we are discussing the training of archaeologists in advanced education and higher education, I think I had indicated that for you to get a job, a, a responsible and 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 high-paying and, and job with 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 significant responsibilities in archaeology, uh, you really sort of have to have an advanced degree. And um, in order to uh, flourish and grow in this profession. You need to be very, very adaptable, as I had said. And, and one of the quandaries that we have in archaeological education is, as I said, the, the, there is this uh, transition from which the actual practice in the field has gone from 80-20 academic to commercial to a complete flip-flop where now it's 80-20 commercial to academic. And the problem is that in the uh, major institutions of archaeological training for that advanced degree, you have professors and teachers who are part of this one generation during which this transition has has actually ta- occurred who are steeped in the former model. In other words, these are academically oriented archaeologists because we have a tenure system in the country, uh, in North America certainly, in which uh, those professors 
are basically guaranteed their jobs for life if they get tenure, they will continue to do their research. And, of course, much of it is very productive and contributes significantly to the knowledge base. But certainly in terms of training students for the jobs in the new world of archaeology, in the emerging world of a dominantly commercial archaeology, the training that the, these professors are capable of giving you is limited because they don't necessarily function in that commercial world. So they are teaching you the traditional tools of archaeology at a time in graduate school when you start to need to think about where are you going to work and how are you going to get a job. Are there academic jobs out there? Certainly there are, but they are shrinking increasingly such that uh, if you compare the academic job potential from 30, 40 years ago to what it is today, it's, it's, it's completely out of whack. Um, academic jobs for, uh, for archaeologists, for example, who work in the old world are almost minimal. They're negligible right now. And it's, you, you can pretty much write off the possibility of getting that type of job unless a variety of circumstances uh, change. But certainly in terms of the demographics right now and the potential right now, the overwhelming number of archaeologists who are going to come out into the marketplace are going to work A, for the commercial sector and probably Probably are going to work for for uh, for operations or for companies that function in North America. Although that's starting to change, we're starting to expand internationally, and so you have this potential quandary of PhDs coming out and master's degree students and, and PhDs coming out of the university system who have been trained in the old ways, and they have to make this modification and uh, make the adjustments to the commercial world of archaeology in which things like law and methods and public relations and human interact and, and uh, people interaction with developers and, uh, and the business world are critical elements. Now, in the earlier days when this was going on, there were a number of small firms, uh, commercial firms that were just starting to emerge and, and because the infrastructure of these companies and, and the infrastructure of the compliance world, as it were, was really not as complex as it was today. It was possible to sort of get your academic training, get an apprenticeship with a small company or a medium-sized company, and you could learn by doing. You could you could get your knowledge base by doing. You would be apprenticed. You would be brought on. You would you would you would do an internship. But that model is no longer valid because the companies that do the commercial archaeology have now become big, and uh, time is money, and and they can no longer afford to train uh, very well schooled. Uh, specialists who have done a certain type of archaeology for eight, nine, ten years in graduate school to change their perspectives and automatically apply their skills to the commercial world. It's not as simple anymore. And while there was an expectation, say, 10, 15 years ago to, to train these people, uh, these practitioners who were obviously intellectually very well suited to do this work, there is no longer a simple way to train people to make the adjustments to the commercial world. There is going to have to be an infusion of professors in this next generation of instructors at the university that are going to have to come armed with backgrounds from the commercial world of archaeology so that they can train their students to apply those skills so that there will be 
uh, ready to go into the working world of archaeology, where, as I said, the ratio of commercial to academic archaeology is somewhere on the order of 80 to 20. So this is one of the major crises that we're up against right now. And uh, I think uh, the major archaeological societies are coming to understand, and the universities as well, to some degree, although univers- in, in, in the university world, I think change is much more slow than it is in, in, in the commercial venue. But they're starting to understand that the next wave, I think, of professors are going to have to come into the university system armed with the necessary background on how the commercial world of archaeology works. And these are debates, healthy debates, that are being carried on in the archaeological societies, the Archaeological Institute of America, the Society for American Archaeology, and a number of other organizations in which a healthy debate here is ensuing. And it really goes to the basis of what the university's mission is, is the university's mission to teach people to, 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 to get jobs, to, to function in a vocational world. Or is it simply to impart knowledge? Well, these are, are debates that we're certainly not going to settle. But uh, there is, for better or worse, an increasing awareness of the need to actually employ people in these vocations, in, in, in these fields, rather. Um, there is a need for archaeologists to actually find work, and their their skill sets are going to have to be rehoned and modified to make the adjustments to the working world. And again, change is hard, change is difficult, and, and change in some ways is, is, occurs at a glacial pace. But nevertheless, I think that we are making progress in this direction. I would hate to see that uh, the loss of, of the pure intellectualism and, 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 and the venue that, that many of us were so enthralled with when we went to graduate school disappear because intellectual pursuits is so much a part of anthropology and archaeology at its core. But nevertheless, the advances in methods and the advances in the complexities of the archaeological world as we're confronting it in the 21st century demands that a skill set and an applied skill set be part of your fabric and part of your um, your training once you get out there so that you can hit the world of employable archaeology, if you will, and that would be the commercial world. Uh, you, could, you have to hit it running because the companies who undertake this work are uh, expecting and they can get uh, less well-trained archaeologists who have actually worked their way into the commercial world um, without as much rigorous training as many of the universities have imparted, uh, they will often give those people priority because they're ready to go. And as a result of that, the archaeological quality can sometimes be qu- compromised. And if we want to set up standards in which the science that we're doing is as rigorous as we expect it to be in the decision-making that we have to make, even in the preservation and compliance domains, has to be based on a scientific a scientific foundation so that we can evaluate the significance of our sites appropriately. We have to have people who understand what archaeology is all about and who understand what the relative importance of one site over another may be, and they can make what are called significance determinations and they can do it as informed and as and 
as on a scientifically sound basis as is warranted by the circumstances in which they are. So as you can see, the issue of archaeological education is still in flux. It's in transition. We're living at a very dynamic period we're going through uh, in the world of archaeological training. And I will have subsequent shows for you that will actually bring practitioners from the academic and the commercial settings together so that we can discuss ways in which we can bridge these critical gaps and and uh, and effect a, uh, a, a, a nice transition uh, between the academic and the commercial world and we can still maintain our scientific integrity in a world in which uh, an applied venue is increasingly pr- becoming the dominant mode and venue in which this type of work will occur in the future. And uh, I would uh, urge you all to stay tuned for uh, several programs that will be upcoming in the next few months in which we're going to explore these connections and we're going to try to tackle these issues that are front and center in the world of archaeology of, as of today. And I want to thank you so much for participating and, uh, and, and uh, tuning in on our program. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you so much. This is Joe Schuldenrein, uh for signing off for our program, Indiana Jones, Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology. We'll see you again next time. again for tuning in to Indiana Jones Myth, Reality, and 21st Century Archaeology with Dr. Joseph Schuldenrein. Please join us for another unique journey into the past next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. In the meantime, think about the past with an eye towards the future and a better tomorrow. Tomorrow.